church, uh, I'm going to ask you to do something uh, that I've never invited people to do in church before, which is um, to make sure that your phone is on today. Do you have a phone with you? If you keep it silent, but on and at the ready, uh, the reason for this is that we're going to have the opportunity to use our phones with a text message at the end of the sermon today. Okay, so if you have uh, something that you can send a text with, uh, there's a million crazy things to use your phone for. Looking for good ways to use your phone. This is hopefully a good one. All right, last week was Easter Sunday, the day of days, the celebration of celebrations, the moment when we uh, worship God and celebrate that life has conquered death and that God brought his son, our Lord Jesus, back from the dead. You remember that a week ago? All right, seven days later, how'd this last week go for you? Right? Jesus rose from the dead, now what? What's next? So what? What difference does the resurrection make? I'm humbly suggesting it makes all the difference in the world. (laughs) Like, it is the thing that matters the most. Because of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is salvation for the world and hope for change in the hearts of people like us, hope for change in humanity because of the resurrection. It is our number one message. The resurrection is God's way, um, certainly of loving us, but of getting into us, of getting inside us. God intends the resurrection not to just be something that happened in a rocky tomb 2,000 years ago, but something that... Uh, happens inside of our hearts, mending us, healing us, inspiring us. God's work, if I can put it this way, is always an inside job. We're very impressed with externals, stuff you can see and put your hands on and drive. God's work is always an inside job. So we are going to spend six weeks um, diving deep into a single chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, which is all about the resurrection. It's a long chapter. There's 58 verses, so we're not going to cover any of the same ground twice. Just slowly work through uh, the profound reality that the Bible teaches about. So because it's the resurrection, each one of these messages uh, is going to have a big word or a big idea from God that begins with the letters R-E-S. This is very cute and clever. You're supposed to smile and be like, oh, that's fantastic. Thanks for the support. All right. Today, the word is simply this, residence, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is meant to come and live and take residence inside of you. I'm not making this up. This is God's idea. This is God's plan for you. The Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15. He wrote the whole letter of 1 Corinthians He planted a church in the ancient Greek city of Corinth. And here's what he wrote to them. First couple verses. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you, otherwise, stakes are pretty high here, otherwise you have believed in vain. Now, Corinth, 2,000 years ago, was a church 
uh, with a ton of issues. If you read the whole letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses uh, a whole series of problems that they were having as a church. I mean, the rich folks were mistreating the poor folks. Uh, They had church members who were suing each other in open court and talking badly about one another. They had tons of infighting about worship and who had the best spiritual gifts. Uh, They had romantic and uh, bad sexual behavior issues. They had it all. It was like the first church of Las Vegas. I mean, it's like every church (laughs) is what it's like, right? I mean, we're human beings. They had all the issues that every other church has ever had. And Paul addresses quite a few of these in 1 Corinthians. And then at the very end, he writes this chapter about the resurrection. And here's why he saves it for the very end. Because it is the most important issue. Paul finishes his letter with the issues the issue of issues. This one is non-negotiable. He is reminding the Corinthian church of Jesus' bodily resurrection and our common hope for our bodily resurrection. He is saying, please, 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 church in Corinth, you can behave badly in tons of ways. Just don't mess this one up, people. By saving this one for last, he's not diminishing the resurrection, but showing that it is the foundation, the platform by which every other problem, issue, trouble, sin that they're experiencing is going to be addressed. The resurrection is the foundation. Do you remember back in the 90s, some of those who are a little older, the 90s, uh, when Bill Clinton ran for president, his campaign slogan behind the scenes was this, it's the economy. We don't say that word in church. (laughs) It's the economy, silly. Right? It was his way of reminding, if we're going to get people's votes, we need to focus on dollars and cents and making a difference in people's bank accounts and spending power. And The Apostle Paul would say to the church in Corinth and to us today, it's the resurrection, silly. Everything else we get concerned about, all the ways we spin off in our selfish directions, if we can keep our feet standing firm, if we can keep our hearts full of the resurrected power of Jesus Christ, this is what actually makes a difference. Paul continues in his letter. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Right? This is where it's at, first importance. And Paul is saying, I didn't make this stuff up. I received this. And now I'm reminding you, passing it on to all of you. Here is the Bible's uh, shortest, most succinct version of the gospel. You ready? And if, you, if anybody ever asks you, what do you believe? These are the perfect words to quote. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he has been raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Like, this is the good news in a nutshell. Notice that Paul doesn't start the good news by saying, here's the good news. You're the worst sinner ever. It's kind of implied, but he says that Christ died for our sins, right? Doesn't that feel like good news? Somebody loved you so much, they came for you from the start. Step two, that he was buried. Now, there were rumors going around already 2,000 years ago that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. I mean, that maybe he passed out, 
or swooned or he suffered so much. He was so close to death that as he lay in the tomb for a couple days, you know, he got his strength back, he got the mojo back, and then came out. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. Jesus died for our sins and was buried. That's what we do with dead people, right? We bury them. Jesus, the Son of God, was dead. And then he has been raised up on the third day. Lots of English translations simply say he was raised. That makes it seem like it was a one-time thing, right? He was raised. But if you say, as Paul really does, he has been raised, it means it happened and it keeps making a difference for every day that comes after that day. You feel a difference in those words? This is a subtle grammatical point. Jesus has been raised. And notice that Paul doesn't say, Jesus woke up, Jesus raised himself. That's not what it says. Jesus has been raised. By whom? By what? By God the Father, by the power of the living God, who would not let his son, who gave a perfect sacrificial life, stay dead. The power of God, according to the scriptures, raised him from the dead. This is the good news. By faith, friends, the same thing that happened to Jesus, the same story, is going to happen to you. Like, we are all, by God's grace, going to repeat this story, if I may. I'll put myself in this example. Like, here I am, I'm a 45-year-old dude, I've been, like, walking around in this body. It's been growing, now it's, like, shrinking and widening. But, you know, 45 years, you people know the drill, right? Someday, this is going to die. It's no longer going to be able to walk upstairs. Uh, Someday, it's going to stop running its mouth. It's going to stop playing the piano, Like, all that, at some point, will stop. I will be buried, or cremated, or if I'm in an accident, something else will, right, happen. Like, this stuff, these atoms, will not be in their current configuration. And then, part three of the story, God, in some way I can't quite fathom or describe to you yet, is going to reconstitute a body for me that somehow resembles this thing that I'm running around in, but is different and infinitely better, recognizable somehow as having a connection to whatever this is, and eternal. Like, by faith in Jesus, doesn't this sound crazy when you say it out loud? By faith in Jesus, we are all going to repeat what Jesus himself has experienced. He is the first one, and the rest of us are walking in his footsteps. We are standing in line behind our master, Jesus. Now, Paul is very excited about this line. It is the line of the resurrection, okay? Folks who are going to repeat and be influenced by the Jesus story. Have you ever stood in a very long line for anything? An Apple phone? A movie that you really, really wanted to see? A bank that was opening? No, no one has stood in line for that. <laughs> Sorry, bankers. No. So I remember vividly, uh, 1976 or 7, I can't remember which, Star Wars was opening. I stood in line for three hours with my family. Okay? I was so excited to see the first Star Wars 
I had heard so much about Luke Skywalker and like these spaceships. Totally stoked. We're in line for three hours. We get to the front and they sold out. So, okay. Yes, feel very sorry for me. Thank you. That's not the point. In standing in a three-hour movie line, of course, all we were talking about, we were meeting people, super friendly. Everybody is just excited about Star Wars. This is the picture that Paul is, draw, is about to draw up about what it means to stand in line uh, as somebody who has the resurrection inside your heart. It's like, this is the thing that we ought to be super excited about, that we tell stories about, that... Uh, leaks out of us in terms of our face and expression and words. Here comes the line of witnesses. The resurrected Jesus first appeared to Cephas, otherwise known as Peter, right? The Gospels tell about this on Easter Sunday night. And then the resurrected Jesus appeared to the 12. The Gospels tell us about this, how Jesus appeared again in the upper room. And after that, the resurrected Jesus appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. Okay, hold on a second. When did this happen? This is nowhere in the Bible, by the way. <laughs> okay, or, or if it is, it's not directly described. And Paul is saying for the Corinthian church, the resurrection is so important. Don't just take my word for it. You've met Peter. The 12 apostles, you've heard of them, and more than 500 people, men and women alike, experienced the resurrected Jesus at the same time. Some of them are still alive. So if you doubt me, like, send them a letter, talk to them. They can uh, give you the eyewitness evidence that Jesus died, was buried, and was brought back to life by the power of God. Okay, this is getting to be a long line of people. Like, it's more than 500 and then Paul throws at the end of the line, and then the resurrected Jesus appeared to James, and then again to all the apostles. So there are lots of James in the New Testament. There's James, the son of Zebedee, one of Jesus' first disciples. James and John are brothers. There's James, the son of Alphaeus. If you've been to Sunday school in the past, also one of the 12 disciples. And there is James, the brother of Jesus. This is that James. Now, the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus had a hard time with his own family. I mean, can you imagine growing up if your sibling was the Messiah? <laughs> I mean, seriously, they probably shared a bedroom. <laughs> Could you believe if you were Jesus' sibling that your sibling was the Messiah? Yeah, he's such a goody-goody. I mean, he's always just... Uh... Right? I think that was the case with them. It says, even in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 5, that none of his brothers believed in him. Like, the scripture explicitly says that. So this guy, James, his brother, Jesus, now having been brought back from the dead, makes a special resurrection appearance to his human brother. And this guy, at this point, his life changes. Okay? And... Jesus' brother James becomes the man, the like main leader of the early Jerusalem church. He starts witnessing about his brother being the son of God. I mean, wouldn't that be tough to take? He gave his life bearing witness for his brother. At the very, very, very end of this line of witnesses, Paul brings up himself. Here's what he says. Last of all in line, the resurrected Jesus, 
appeared to me also as to one prematurely born. For I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So Paul is being a little self-deprecating here. Uh, Paul had a big personality, a big presence, but his name, Paul, or Paulus in Latin, means little guy. And he's saying, I'm last in line because I'm just a little guy. And here's one of the ways that I was not just physically, but metaphorically a small person. Paul was probably living and studying in Israel while Jesus was ministering. Paul was not on board. He was studying to be the best little Pharisee that he could. And then after Jesus died, was buried, and was raised from the dead, Paul did his best to hurt the church, to persecute the church, to take out Jesus' own brother, to take out the disciples and these witnesses. So Paul is saying, you know, everybody else who walked with Jesus for three years, it's like when it came time to be in line, they already were fully formed But I didn't do any of that. I wasn't helping Jesus. I wasn't walking around with Jesus. I wasn't serving with Jesus. It's like I was prematurely born because I didn't have the three years of time to grow up. Jesus appeared to me and boom, my feet hit the ground. I had no idea. Even Paul, the great hater of the church, got taken down when the resurrection of Jesus Christ took up residence in him. Now, here we are all these years later. Hopefully, some of us in this room are witnesses of the same resurrection. It started with Jesus, who was a witness to the love of God, Mary Magdalene, 12 disciples, churches, 500 witnesses, folks in Corinth, Somebody told somebody who told somebody who told somebody, and somebody told you, and here we are 2,000 years later in the name of Jesus. Now, folks who are critical, who think that the whole gospel story is just a giant lie, waste of time, that a resurrection has never happened and never will happen, one of the arguments against this long line of witnesses is this. It's like a game of telephone where somebody whispers, a guppy in a shark tank. And then the next person whispers, a guppy at a big bank. And then by the time you're like seven people down, it's like, I don't know, Dougie drove a dark tank. (laughs) You know, it only takes a few people and like the whole message changes. And the criticism is this. Jesus was a great person, but it only took a few years, a few generations at most before this whole church thing got crazy. Hmm. This is not a valid criticism. You know why? (laughs) Because the gospel is not just one witness telling another, but God has left five witnesses in black and white in the scriptures. And those have been there since virtually the very beginning. Matthew? Mark? Luke? John? 1 Corinthians 15? I mean, there are five incredible accounts of Jesus' resurrection. And when people get crazy over the course of a generation or in a particular culture, all you need to do is back up the truck, get back to Scripture, and the original witnesses are still there telling the truth. 
Paul finishes this passage this way. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Jesus appeared to Paul out of the blue. I mean, he had the original Damascus Road experience. You know this phrase? It's a phrase in culture because Paul had it. (laughs) You heard the phrase, come to Jesus moment? Like Paul had the OG come to Jesus moment. That's why we have this phrase in culture. I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I have worked harder than all of them. And he's pointing at all the rest of the witnesses at this point. I have worked so hard, Paul says. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, the resurrection. And this is what you believed. Paul is saying about himself, I'm a little guy, but I work so hard, not trying to prove that I'm a big guy, but because my life is running on the fuel of God's grace. I mean, Paul was a wild man traveling everywhere he could. He was beaten. He was in shipwrecks. I mean, he had the world's biggest frequent flyer portfolio because he was driven by grace and compelled by the resurrection. And Paul is suggesting, hey, if you want to live the best possible life, let the the reality of the resurrection set up shop in you and then live off that power because it's a source of energy that nothing in the universe is ever going to snuff out. Paul left a testimony of many, many words and many, many deeds. I think his intention in writing 1 Corinthians 15 here at the outset is to inspire the rest of the train of witnesses to do the same. So here's where your phone comes in today. You may take it out if you have one and have texting capabilities at this point. Um, I'm going to ask for a word of testimony from you, all right? There's been a lot of testimony in the service already. I mean, Daryl praying, the Elam worship team up here. I mean, can you see the, the love of God and the reality of the resurrection coming through them? Am I the only one? Amen? I mean, come on, seriously. We're so full of inhibitions. It's really good to be around people who it's just pure and simple. Uh, so there's a couple prompts up on the screen now. Because he lives, because Jesus lives, I can fill in a verb. It'd be super helpful if you keep this to one word, okay? Because we're going to collect all of these, and at the end of the service, they're all going to pop up on the screen together as a giant montage of testimony, okay? Or, because he lives, I now have fill in a noun. Preferably one word. Again, it'll keep things simple and help us collect this. The number's up there, 216-208-0437. If you want to pray about this or think about this, you have probably seven minutes, okay, before the deadline. (laughs) This is your digital testimony for today, (laughs) okay? It's going to pop up on the screen. I'm hoping in our our e-news next week, we can send the image of what all this looks like together. By the way, if you have the same testimony as five other people, that word will appear larger, okay, on the screen. So that's kind of cool. Uh, Maybe you'd want to print this out. Tack it up somewhere. Maybe someone would ask you about it. Maybe after you text the word, the Holy Spirit will be like, you know what? You need to share this with somebody else. Talk about your excitement while you're standing in line. Know what I'm saying? I'm not feeling you yet. 
All right, a final story. Uh, there is an old Easter song uh, that I used to play with my mom, big fan of, called I Serve a Risen Savior. Uh, we used to be a church that had hymn books before we did all our singing on the screens. And in our Christian form denomination, we had this thing called a Psalter hymnal. Latest edition was like in the mid-80s. It was gray in color. This song was number 405 in that book. Like, I really like this song. I know all the stuff by heart. This song, if you sing it, it kind of feels like you're cantering on a horse. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Know that he is with me, whatever people say. All right, this song was almost voted out of the book by the, our denomination. Bert, did you tell me this story? I for, no? Okay. I have this on credible eyewitnesses who experienced this. So once a year, our denomination representatives from all over North America gather in the world's biggest church business meeting called Synod. Okay? And back in the 80s, Synod still approved all the content of that hymn book so no evil or crazy songs could make it in there. All right? And somebody made the motion that this song, I Serve a Risen Savior, should not be in the book. And it was just about to get voted down. Here's the reason why it didn't make it in the What could be wrong with a song about the resurrection, you might ask? Great question. The chorus goes like this. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. That's not bad yet. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. Still not bad. You ask me how I know he lives. Here's the questionable line. He lives within my heart. Our denomination is made up of so many brainy Christians that we're like, no, no, no. We believe because we know. We believe because the Bible tells me so. We believe because we are the heirs of hundreds and thousands of years of good theology. We have been convinced. I am not proud of this, <laughs> this part of our tradition necessarily. There is nothing wrong with the life of the mind. There is nothing wrong with loving God with every brain cell you have. But it is not the main deal. That is not the main thing. So somebody suggested on the floor of this big church business meeting, you know what we should do? We should just sing the first verse of this song. So all these church representatives, you know, they get the song rolling. But we should we have to do the song sometime during this uh, series on 1 Corinthians 15. All right? So they get rolling on the song. Everybody sings it. And by the end, there's this mighty chorus of singing, He lives within my heart. And everybody voted up. Honestly, the song got saved because if you really know Jesus, you know, you know, not in your brain, you know in your heart of hearts that the thing that makes a difference is that Jesus is actually alive and setting up shop within you. You might have Alzheimer's. You might be losing your mind. You might have been born with some disabilities. That is not the main thing. Jesus is still so delighted to set up residence within you. Did you see our witnesses this morning? That is what it is all about. And part of having Jesus inside of you is stepping in the line of witnesses and taking your turn to say the word, to share the witness. 
I think that's all I've got. Amen. Amen to that. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we believe by faith that indeed, as the scriptures say, you died for our sins, that you were buried, and that the power of God brought you back to life. And we want to follow you. We want to claim that the same thing is going to happen to us. We want to be proud of this story and bear witness. So help us find the words, God, for today. Help us just find a word And give us the courage to share the good news. Thank you for the resurrection that makes all the difference for this life and the life to come. In your name we pray, Lord, and everybody said, amen. Uh, All right, before we take the offering today, there's quite a bit of good news to share about um, things that are happening post-Easter. So Kara Hackert's going to share some good tidings about compassion. Compassion. 